Dear students, wherever you go, whatever you do, knowledge is right here for you. AP State Council of Higher Education created podcasts for easy and quick access to innovative learning. They aim to reinforce fundamental concepts. These engrossing podcasts will enable independent learning and enrich your knowledge and skills. Come, listen, learn and lead the world. Hello listeners, this is Dr. P. Meri Anupuma, faculty from the Department of Biochemistry, St. Joseph's College for Women, Vishakapatnam. Today, we'll be talking about sequencing of proteins. Let us understand this topic with an analogy. Say for example, you have a chain of beads. These beads are of different colors. And I'll be asking you to tell me how these beads are arranged in that chain. So what will you do? You will first try to find out what color of bead is present at both the ends of this particular chain. Say towards the left end, some pink color bead is there. Towards the right end, some blue color bead is there. So next to the pink, you will be identifying what is there. One yellow color bead is there, followed by that one white color bead is there, then a black color bead is there, then a red color bead is there. So like that, you will be trying to narrate me how the sequence of these beads are arranged, right? So in the same way, here also we know that proteins, they consist of a sequence of amino acids, right? These are made up of amino acids. So these are a sequence of amino acids. And in today's podcast, we'll be trying to understand, okay, how do you sequence it? In a chain, since it is visible to you, you pick up each of the bead outside and you try to arrange it. You try to count the number of, uh, say, for example, yellow color beads. You know how to find out the pink color beads. Since everything is visible, you can do it. But here, these proteins, they are not visible to the naked eye. And in the same way, amino acids. Okay, these are the fundamental units of these proteins. Units of these proteins. So here, you have to find out the sequence in which the amino acids are arranged in the proteins or in the polypeptide chains. And two major discoveries in the year 1953, they have assured to this sequencing, protein sequencing in the modern era of biochemistry. You have James D. Watson and Francis Crick of Cambridge University who have deduced the double helical structure of DNA and they proposed how the DNA can be replicated and all such things. So in that same year, Frederick Sanger, he was working at the same university and he was trying to find out the sequence of amino acids in the polypeptide chain of the hormone insulin. And this was an achievement actually. And finally, uh, they have come up with this method called as the Sanger's method of deducing the amino acid sequence in a particular protein. 
Today, the amino acid sequences of hundreds of different proteins from various species is known. The amino acid sequence of polypeptide chain is determined by principles which are developed by Sanger and they are still in use today. Though from DNA we can deduce today how the proteins will be made up of the makeup of the proteins from the DNA to the RNA and then to the proteins we are able to see that but still you know Sanger's method it is being used. And there are six basic steps in solving the amino acid sequence of polypeptide chains. The step one is determination of amino acid composition. Step two is identifying the amino acid and carboxy terminal residues. Step three is fragmenting the polypeptide chain. Step four is identifying the sequence of the peptide fragments. Then step five is cleavage of the original polypeptide chain by another method and step 6 it comprises of ordering peptide fragments by establishing overlaps. So these are the six steps that we will be studying now. Step 1 it is determining the amino acid composition. So this first step is done by hydrolyzing the peptide bonds of a pure polypeptide. And what you get is an amino acid mixture. This amino acid mixture which is formed, it is analyzed by using ion exchange chromatography. And then you will be determining the amino acids which are present and the numbers of each of these amino acids present. So just like I was telling you, if you have a chain, you will be trying to find out the number of yellow beads like what are the colors of beads which are present that indicates the type of amino acids and then you will be finding the number of yellow beads the number of red beads the number of black beads this includes the count of each of the amino acids that we are trying to find out then step two is identifying the amino and carboxy terminal residues so in this step we will try to identify the amino acid residue at the end of polypeptide chains bearing the free alpha amino group. The alpha amino group that is the amino terminal end. For this purpose Sangers he has developed a reagent called as 1-fluoro-2,6-dinitrobenzene. The Sangers uh, reagent. He has developed this reagent and let us read out the name again it is 1-fluoro-2,4-dinitrobenzene and this can label the amino terminal residue of the chain as the yellow derivative of the amino acid which is 2,4-dinitrophenyl derivative of amino acid. When such a DNP derivative, DNP means 2,4-dinitrophenyl derivative, okay. So, when such a DNP derivative of polypeptide is subjected to hydrolysis using some acid, all the peptide bonds in the chain, they are hydrolyzed. However, the covalent bond which is found between the 2,4-dinitrophenyl group and the alpha amino group of amino terminal residue it resists that acid treatment 
so consecutively what you see is that the the amino terminal residue it will be present in the hydrolysate as its 2,4 dinitrophenyl derivative and this derivative it can be easily separated from the unsubstituted uh, other free amino acids by some chromatographic uh, techniques you can separate them and you can simply find out which amino acid is actually the DNP derivative and you can authenticate what amino acid it is from the rest of the things. Another reagent which can be used to label the amino terminal residue is the dancyl chloride. This dancyl chloride it reacts with the free alpha amino group to yield a dancyl derivative. This is highly fluorescent and therefore you can easily detect it and it can be measured even if the concentration is very low. Now coming to determination of this carboxy terminal amino acid residue. The carboxy terminal amino acid residue of a polypeptide chain it can be identified by incubating the polypeptides with enzyme like carboxypeptidase which hydrolyzes only the peptide bond at the carboxy terminal end of the chain okay the carboxypeptidase what is it doing it is specifically hydrolyzing the amino acid which is present at the carboxy terminal end of the chain so by determining which amino acid is released first by the action of this carboxypeptidase from the polypeptide you can identify what amino acid residue is present at the carboxy terminal end so in this step what we are trying to do is we are trying to identify the amino terminal amino acid residue and the carboxy terminal amino acid residue of the polypeptide chain once again what we have done at the amino terminal end okay to determine the amino acid residue and the amino terminal end we have treated with sanger's reagent what is sanger's reagent it is 1 fluoro 2 4 dinitrobenzene okay the derivative which is obtained upon hydrolysis what do you get is amino acid derivative of dnp or you can also go for usage of the dancyl chloride which labels it you know fluorescent labeling of the amino terminal amino acid residue is obtained or else for carboxy terminal end what we can do we can go ahead with treatment with a simple carboxy peptidase an enzymatic cleavage which hydrolyzes the carboxy terminal residue so with this we have determined both the amino terminal residue and the carboxy terminal residue step 3 it is fragmenting the polypeptide chain what do you do is you take another sample of that intact polypeptide chain which you have used previously and now subject this to uh, fragmentation and you get smaller pieces of it that is you are trying to generate shorter peptides having 
an average amino acid residues of 10 to 15 amino acids. So the objective of this hydrolysis or fragmentation is to separate these fragments and determine amino acid sequence of each because if you have shorter fragments it will be easier for us to handle and get the amino acid sequence. Several methods can be used for fragmenting the polypeptide chain. A common procedure is partial enzymatic hydrolysis of the polypeptide by the digestive enzyme trypsin. All of us know trypsin. This enzyme trypsin is very specific in its catalytic action. It catalyzes the hydrolysis of only those peptide bonds in which the carboxy group is contributed by either a lysine residue or an arginine residue regardless of the length or amino acid sequence of the chain once again what does trypsin do trypsin it is a digestive enzyme this enzyme it cleaves or hydrolyzes the peptide bonds in which the carboxyl group is contributed either by lysine or arginine residues. The number of small peptides produced by this cleavage with trypsin can thus be predicted from the total number of lysine or, or arginine residues in the original polypeptide. Okay, these directly indicate the number of lysine or arginine residues in the original polypeptide. A polypeptide, say for example, it has 5 lysine residues uh, or 5 lysine and arginine residues. Okay, so arginine residues, if they are 5 or if lysine is 5 or um, lysine plus arginine, say for example, if they are 5. So, the number of spots which are available for hydrolysis in a single polypeptide are 5. So, now how many fragments do we get? The original polypeptide having five sides. So how do we, how many do we get? So this will usually result in six smaller peptides. Okay, six smaller peptides. Moreover, all except one of these will have a lysine or arginine residue at the carboxy terminal position. The fragments which are produced by the action of trypsin they can be separated from each other by ion exchange chromatography you subject this to column chromatography and then you separate them we can also carry out uh, two-dimensional paper chromatography to get that peptide map so at the end of the third step what we have got is smaller peptide fragments which are now taken for sequencing that is what is our step four step four is identifying the sequences of peptide fragments the amino acid sequence of each peptide fragment which is obtained from the above okay, that is used here and a chemical method which is devised by per admin is usually employed for this purpose we call that as admin degradation procedure so the admin degradation procedure it labels and removes only the amino terminal residue from the peptides 
by leaving all the other peptide bonds intact what does the sediment reagent do during the sediments degradation method only the amino terminal residue of peptide it is cleaved while rest of the things they remain in, intact after removal and identification of the amino terminal residue by this method the new amino terminal residue gets exposed and now it can be labeled and removed okay again you will be repeating the same procedure a series of reactions will be doing in a residue by residue manner the admin degradation can yield the entire amino acid sequence of peptide usually only a single sample we do it at a time the peptide bond is first reacted or the peptide is first reacted with phenyl isothiocyanate okay the peptide whatever that we want to sequence it is first reacted with phenyl isothiocyanate which combines with the free alpha amino group of amino terminal residue the treatment of the peptide with cold dilute acid that removes the amino terminal residue and converts it into a phenyl thiohydantoin derivative so what is happening here the alpha amino acid okay the amino acid which is present at the amino terminal end that is reacting with this phenyl isothiocyanate and this amino acid residue it is getting converted into phenyl thiohydantoin derivative which can now be identified by chromatographic procedures the rest of the peptide chain it remains intact so the shortened peptide which is obtained now can now again be subjected to another round of these reactions which permits the identification of the new amino terminal residue which is nothing but the second amino acid residue thus through repetitive removal of successive amino terminal residues of the peptide by this subtractive method the amino acid sequence of peptides having up to 10 to 20 residues can be determined all the peptide fragments resulting from the action of trypsin they have to be sequenced using this method okay so this is what is our step 4 that is sequencing slowly we have generated the sequence now coming to step 5 step 5 it is cleavage of the original polypeptide chain by another procedure in order to establish the order of peptide fragments formed by trypsin another sample of this intact polypeptide is cleaved into smaller fragments by using a different method here Uh, the advantage with this is when you are uh, using some chemical method rather than enzymatic method it cleaves at a different point than that which is cleaved by trypsin and the reagent which is used is cyanogen bromide this reagent 
cyanogen bromide is particularly useful since it cleaves only those peptide bonds in which the carbonyl group is contributed by methionine residue so what does cyanogen bromide do this is useful as it cleaves only those peptide bonds in which the carbonyl group is contributed by methionine residues thus if a polypeptide it's containing eight methionine residues and when you are cleaving that polypeptide with cyanogen bromide it gives you nine peptide fragments these fragments which are uh, obtained over here they are separated by again chromatographic methods and we repeat the same step which we have done with the fragments which are obtained from trypsin that is subjecting them to this admin degradation method so with that what we do is we are trying to determine the amino acid sequence of the peptides obtained from the cyanogen bromide treatment method also this is what is our step 5 so what we'll know is we all know that we have two sets of fragments which are obtained and the sequence of these two sets of fragments and now starts step 6 that is ordering the peptide fragments by establishing overlaps we have to see the overlaps the sequence of amino acids of each of the fragments which are obtained from the original peptide okay by the two cleavage procedures we have done trypsin method as well as the cyanogen bromide method now our objective is to establish the sequence by learning the continuity of the amino acids in each of the fragments for that what we have to do what we have to do we have to look for the overlaps we have to look for the overlaps the overlapping fragments or the overlapping peptides which are obtained from the second fragmentation method they yield the correct order of peptide fragments produced in the first cleavage so what we do first we have got some sequence of amino acids sorry sequence of fragments now what do you do we try to arrange the sequence of the peptides of the fragments which are obtained from first cleavage we try to arrange them and then we also take this fragments obtained from the second one and their sequence we note them down and now we try to club them and see the overlaps definitely overlaps will be there we see the overlaps and then we try to deduce the entire sequence of the peptide or the protein sometimes you know the second cleavage procedure may fail to establish the overlap but still if that is happening again you have to repeat it go for again further cleavage using some other amines some other enzyme or some other method cleavage of polypeptide with uh, proteolytic enzymes like chymotrypsin even pepsin is being used so what do you have is once you get those fragments again 
you sequence them and then you see the overlaps and finally deduce the sequence of the protein or the polypeptide so like this we can establish the sequence of huge polypeptides if you feel that the polypeptide is very large you know very large hydrolyze it hydrolyze it and make sure that you get those fragments of 10 to 20 before hydrolyzing what we have done we have determined the amino terminal amino acid as well as the carboxy terminal amino acid then we have fragmented and then we started arranging the things we have uh, sequenced it and then arranged it so these are the steps which are involved in amino acid sequencing of peptides now let us compare that with uh, huge uh, chains if you have say for example you have some big chain having some 300 some 300 beads are there in that now we want to arrange them and you are given seven to eight chains of it seven to eight chains huge chains are there and i ask you to tell the sequence what do you do first you see the start one and the end one now you cut that into smaller fragments you give it to your friends and you ask them to note it down okay and you make sure how you are giving it because these are visible things so you can distribute it to your friends first fragment you may be taking second fragment your friend one then friend two friend three and so on say but it's still huge you randomly distribute it you randomly distribute it okay and determine the count two to three times you distributed you give it a trial then you will understand how it is easy to understand this particular concept of amino acid sequencing of proteins so once you have cut it randomly and once you have distributed the beads they will be noting down put that in a paper say for example yellow red blue white so it may come up like blue many enzymes are there which can be used for fragmenting of polypeptide chains we have already learned about trypsin and carboxypeptidase we have even submaxillarious protease which is obtained from mouse submaxillary glands which is uh, specifically for specific for arginine if the carbonyl group is donated by arginine it leaves there then anyway we we were talking about chymotrypsin also chymotrypsin it uh, divides if the carbonyl group is contributed by phenylalanine tryptophan and tyrosine then we have protease from staphylococcus aureus v8 uh, which hydrolyzes if the carbonyl group is contributed by aspartate and glutamate then we have asp and protease which hydrolyzes if the amino group is contributed by at the amino group okay it will be hydrolyzing if the amino group is contributed by again aspartate and glutamate then pepsin can also be used it hydrolyzes if the amino group of the peptide bond is contrib- contributed by phenylalanine tryptophan and tyrosine so like that we have many reagents that can be used then you should be also locating for this disulfide bonds 
in a protein so now you have the sequence of the protein or the polypeptide now in the primary structure you would like to find out uh, where the disulfide bonds are present so a sample of protein once it is cleaved and subjected to all these things you will be getting the sequence right in that whenever you have the cysteine residues see try to link up the cysteine residues try to link up the cysteine residues these cysteine residues can alone can alone form these disulfide bonds so in an intact protein if they are located nearer they will be forming disulfide bridges so that's what you have to see and then we also have uh, many other methods uh, which have been coming up to sequence the amino acids so the above one is the older one new methods are based on mass spectro uh, mass spectrometry they permit sequencing of shorter peptides of again 20 to 30 amino acid residues and you'll be able to get that in few minutes in addition uh, with the development of this rapid dna sequencing methods and the elucidation of gene code it is there and the development of techniques for isolating genes researchers they can deduce the sequence of polypeptide by determining the sequence of nucleotides in the gene that codes for it so directly from the genetic code we can get the sequence of the amino acids the techniques used to determine protein and dna sequence are complementary when the gene is available sequencing the dna can be faster and more accurate than sequencing of the protein so most proteins are now sequenced in this indirect way we call these as indirect methods if the gene has not been isolated then you can go for direct sequencing of the peptides in addition a knowledge of amino acid sequence or even a part of the polypeptide can greatly contribute to this uh, elucidation of uh, amino acid sequence from the genes an array of methods are available to analyze both protein and nucleic acids and in recent years you have several things you know several ways by which we are able to do it and this contributes to what is known as a whole new biochemistry a complete sequence of an organism's dna its genome they are available right from viruses to multicellular eukaryotes genes are being discovered by millions of people you know all around the world many researchers are contributing to it millions of sequences are available and from them you can describe or you can come up with the protein and researchers have coined a new term for this that is the direction of or finding out the protein sequence from dna and the term is proteome this you call it as proteome so we have uh, new disciplines genomics and proteomics that have totally revolutionized the sequencing methods of this dna and sequencing of proteins so it's much easier today than the earlier days and insulin it was the first protein uh, that is to be sequenced that was sequenced and 
here we know that it is done by sanger's method so bovine in insulin was used it has a molecular weight of about 5700 and it has two polypeptide chains which are named as chain a that has 21 amino acids and chain b that has 30 amino acids these two chains they are connected by disulfide bridge so here the disulfide bridges or the disulfide cross links these have to be cleaved these linkages have to be cleaved first so that we can get individual polypeptide chains so for this purpose sanger employed the oxidizing agent performic acid which cleaves each cysteine residue into two cystic acid residues one in each of the chain the chains were then separated and the sequence of each is determined examination of the amino acid sequences of the two chains shows no obvious pattern or periodicity in the occurrence of any of the amino acids moreover the sequence of the two chains they were observed to be quite different the successful determination of the amino acid sequence of insulin chains has promoted intensive study of the relationship between the structure of insulins isolated from different species and their biological activity in promoting glucose metabolism both the a and b chains of insulin are required for biological activity we know that and moreover the disulfide cross linkages they must be intact removal of parts of either chain by selective cleavage results in loss of their activity this was also determined so through this podcast what we have learned is amino acid sequencing if a peptide is given how do you do it so we follow a sequence of steps we have seen that there are some sequence of steps that we have to follow so what are they can you tell along with me the step one is determining the amino acid composition the number of amino acids of each type step 2 identifying the amino and carboxyl terminal residues step 3 is fragmenting the polypeptide chain step 4 is identifying the sequence of the peptide fragments step 5 is cleavage of the original polypeptide chain by another procedure and step 6 is ordering peptide fragments by establishing overlaps thank you for listening dear students wherever you go whatever you do knowledge is right here for you ap state council of higher education created podcasts for easy and quick access to innovative learning they aim to reinforce fundamental concepts these engrossing podcasts will enable independent learning and enrich your knowledge and skills come listen learn and lead the world